Okay, so this is a feast, um, a big one that we are celebrating that has come to symbolize the what we call the Episcopal office. Now, that's just a big word for the Pope <laughs> and the authority. All right, now, did you know that Peter was not just the Bishop of Rome? That is who the Pope is. You know, the Pope is just a bishop. He's, you have your bishop of your diocese. We have Bishop Byrne on the Diocese of Springfield. The Pope is the Bishop of Rome. But with it comes added authority, the chief shepherd. Now, Peter was also the Bishop of Antioch. If I remember correctly, Brother Jeff can give me a nod before Rome, I think. And so Peter was the Bishop of Antioch and of Rome, and the papacy was the Bishop of Rome. Now they venerated at both those locations the chair that Peter sat in. And they venerated this chair where he used to preside over the assembly. So it's like, like in one sense, the ruler ruling over the assembly, presiding over the assembly. So they venerated the chair. That's why if you've heard the term ex cathedra, which in our church Latin means from the chair. That is when something is infallible. Please don't let non-Catholics tell you that you are ignorant because you follow a religion that says the Pope can't make a mistake. We don't teach that. Please don't let them tell you that you're foolish for being belonging to religion that says every single thing the Pope ever says has to be true and we worship him. No, false on both occasions. Only when it is spoken ex cathedra from the chair regarding faith and morals. So if he's talking about immigration, that does not fall here. We're talking about faith and morals and only in union with the College of Bishops, declared infallibly to the whole church, do we have ex cathedra. This is where the word Holy See comes from. When I was a child, I always thought it was the Holy Seat. And that kind of wouldn't be a bad idea, an answer, because Holy See, S-E-E, -E, comes from Sea Day which is Latin for chair. <laughs> so it really is the holy seat. And we say the holy see from see day, which is Latin for chair. All right, now you got your seminary lesson for the day, right? Okay, well, we're gonna keep going. Now, it's beautiful because the papacy is not a dictator. He's not a king. He's a servant of the servants of God. That is his official title. The Pope is the servant of the servants of God. And, um, you know, it's funny because I mentioned ex cathedra. That's only when the Pope defines a doctrine of faith and morals that must be held by the entire universal church. And it's not common. It's very rare. In fact, there's only two definitive times that we know of. Now, some will argue during the time of the Middle Ages and Trent, there were some other ex cathedra statements by the church, but the two biggies are our Blessed Mother, the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption. The Immaculate Conception of 1854, 
and the de declaration of the dogma of the assumption in 1950. So this is very rare. If the Pope says it's gonna rain tonight, do you have to say that's infallible? No. Now, if the Pope says, you know, um, you have to um, believe in, 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 let's just pick something, um, we have to believe that this is a definitive statement if it's not regarding faith and morals declared by the whole church, you don't have to follow it. It's his own opinion. Just something to keep in mind. Okay, so a doctrine proposed by a pope as his own opinion, let's say, say he's against building a wall, okay? That's, a, that's a, a sensitive issue for a lot of people. Some say build the wall, others say don't build the wall. If he has an opinion on the wall, it's just that, an opinion. It's not solemnly proclaimed as a doctrine of the church and you can reject it. This is what non-Catholics totally don't understand. They don't understand how we work in our faith with the um, thing. Another thing you'll hear, oh, you think the Pope is without sin? No. Nobody, if you read some of the stories of the Popes in the Middle Ages, um, yeah, you'll know that there was sin. All right, now anyway, Vatican I actually used this, this reading I just read as the primacy of the papacy was based on this reading. Now let's look at it. I think it's fascinating. <clears throat> okay, so what I just read you is Jesus is in this Caesarea Philippi. All right, so what's going on here? He asked the people, who do, he asked the disciples, who do they say I am? And they say, John the Baptist, Elijah, um, uh, Jeremiah. And he says, but who do you say I am? That's who the people are saying he is. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you, Simon, not Peter. We're going to talk about this. And he says, you are the rock which I'll build my church. So what's going on here? This is fascinating. All right. First of all, Caesarea Philippi is, I was there. I've only been to the Holy Land one time a couple years ago with Stephen Ray. And um, absolutely fabulous. Um, and we're praying that we can return. Him and I are trying to set up a pilgrimage in October. You can find it online to go in the footsteps of St. Paul on a cruise of the, um, of the Mediterranean because he does the most outstanding pilgrimages. And I've only done a couple pilgrimages my whole life. I just don't have time. But we went to the Holy Land and we went up to Caesarea Philippi. And you know, it's a place of worship before Jesus Christ. There were many temples to the pagans. There was temples to the Syrian god of Baal. You've heard him. And the legend says that all the Greek gods were worshiped there. And in fact, all the Greek gods would gather there. Now, the springs of the Jordan River also begin there. And so they carry this life spring to the Jews. So they saw it as important. And in fact, Herod named it Caesarea in honor of Caesar. And then added Philippi to distinguish it. But anyway, here is a place of all places that the worship of all these pagan gods of the world, the Greek gods, Baal, all these gods 
small g now, are being worshipped. And here comes a ragtag group of guys. Man wearing a robe or a tunic and sandals, a carpenter. And this carpenter of all places, here the greatest gods of the world are worshipped. And here comes this carpenter and he stands in amongst this place of worship and he asks, who do you believe I am? And here's what happens. Jesus is setting himself up against the world's greatest religions. He's setting himself up in these world's main religions in all of their history, all of their splendor, and he's demanding not only to be compared to them, but he's basically saying, I'm greater. I mean, the gall to over-Trump ball, right? This is amazing. This is what people would think of Jesus. Now, there are instances where Jesus is conscious of his own identity. But the fact of his consciousness of his divinity shines more here than almost anywhere in Scripture. Because he's standing amongst all this place of worship of these pagan gods, and he's saying, do you know who I am? I'm greater than all these. What guts? That's who the man Jesus was. Now let's look at this. They said, Elijah. Why Elijah? Why did the people think he was Elijah? Because Malachi said, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day that the Lord comes. You know, even today, the Jews expect the return of Elijah before the coming of the Messiah. So before the Messiah come, they expected to see Elijah. So this is why the apostle said, some people think you're Elijah. You're preparing the way for the Messiah. Then, this keeps going. This is very interesting. In fact, the Jews leave an empty chair, don't they? If I remember correctly. I think the Jews still leave a chair vacant for Elijah when they celebrate Passover. So this is, you know, preparation for the coming of the Messiah. Now, some said Jeremiah. Why would some people say he was Jeremiah? All right. It was believed that before the Jews went into exile... Jeremiah had taken the Ark of the Covenant and the altar of incense out of the temple and he hid it in a cave. So when the Messiah is due to come back, Jeremiah would return with these, with the Ark of the Covenant and the altar of incense and the glory of God would return. This is 2 Maccabees. I'm not making this up. It's 2 Maccabees. So here's the bottom line. When Elijah and Jeremiah would return, the kingdom of God is at hand. The Messiah is near. They are the precursors. Now, what about John the Baptist? He's the true precursor. But then is he John the Baptist? I mean, you could almost see the Lord, and he would never do this, but it's almost like, really, John the Baptist? There's a big difference between the groom and the bridegroom. There's a big difference between the bridegroom and the, I'm sorry, and the best man. 
not the bride, sorry. <laughs> There's a big difference between the groom and the best man. Jesus is the groom. John the Baptist is the best man. All right. So Jesus basically wants to know here, if any of his 12 really discovered who he is, who do you say I am? And Jesus's heart must have been lifted when Peter stepped up and showed that Jesus was getting through because he said, you are the Christ, son of the living God. So Jesus had to be inspired here because he's like, I'm getting through to these guys. Finally, I'm getting through. So he wanted to make sure there was no mistake. So he taught them who really was the Messiah. They were all waiting like Judas. You know, this is why Judas betrayed Jesus. Jesus didn't live up to who Judas thought the Messiah should be. The Jews thought the Messiah should be this conquering hero that was going to overthrow Rome and bring freedom to the Jews. Now, here's what's interesting. Not though as a military, or the Jews believe this would be a military leader. Not Jesus. He's coming as somebody different. To Jesus, who is the Messiah? Him. The son of man, instead of being a military hero that's going to slaughter Rome, here comes a man, the son of man, and he says he must suffer greatly, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed on the third day, raised from the dead. This is not the concept these guys had of a Messiah. So, basically... The Pharisees understood the figure of the Messiah to deliver Rome, as I said, like this warrior. What they didn't understand was that slavery to Rome was nothing compared to slavery to sin. So Jesus was coming to overthrow a greater oppressor. Not Rome, sin. And this is what we're talking about here. If we are to conquer sin and Satan today, there is only one way, the cross. And that's what Lent is all about. Deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. If we want to share in Christ's victory of the resurrection, we must go through the crucifixion. If you want Easter Sunday, you got to go through Good Friday. We must take up our cross and follow him. He took their idea of the Messiah and he totally turned it upside down. This is why Jesus was so radical. He was a conqueror, but not by force, but by mercy. And this is where I want to finish. 90 years ago today, I think about this hour in Europe, Jesus appeared in Płock, Poland, to a little nun named St. Faustina. And he said, have an image painted of the pattern you see before you and label it, Jesus, I trust in you had this image painted, and Jesus said, the soul that venerates this image will never perish. 
Why? Are we worshiping? Let's go back to our non-Catholic brethren. You Catholics are worshiping that image. We don't worship the canvas or the paint. We worship what it represents, Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus said, the grace is not in the paint or the brush strokes, but it is in the mercy and what it represents. It's Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. Jesus came to conquer, not by force, but by mercy. Today, 90 years ago, Jesus gave the image to St. Faustina, and she had it painted. She was one pillar, she said in 1689, you saw me last week read that, and somebody named S.M., could it be Seraphim Michalenko, Father Seraphim, we don't know, but planted the other pillar, and on it hung the image. And you heard me last week talk about Father Seraphim being instrumental in bringing the image to the world. He restored it. The world wouldn't know about it right now in many ways if it wasn't for Seraphim. Now, this image, I want to point out to one thing, and I don't know if Brother Mark can get it over my left shoulder or if he can somehow find a way to show the image. But Satan only has two tools. Satan's only two tools are sin and what's the result of sin? Death. This is what enslaves us and this is what Jesus conquers. How? Let's look at the image. Jesus is a conquering hero because he conquers those two things that enslave us, sin and death. He defeats both of these in the image itself. The image itself has the two rays. Take a look at the rays. From our Lord's heart come forth the rays of red and the pale ray, the blood and the water. What is going on? Sin and death are Satan's only two tools. And in this image, Christ blows them out of the water. No pun intended. Yeah, pun intended. The water. Let's start with the water. If Satan's first tool is sin, what defeats sin? The cleansing waters of baptism and confession. When the priest says, I absolve you, you're being cleansed. In baptism, when the water is poured over you, you're being cleansed. So that first tool of Satan's sin is obliterated by Jesus in this image with the water coming from his heart that washes the soul clean. Sin is defeated by the cleansing waters of baptism and confession. What Satan's other tool? Death. And what defeats death? Life. And what's life to the Jews? Blood. And so for the red ray, we see the precious blood. Blood was the life of the being to the Jews. So the key, the key to all of this is not some magic wand, not some rabbit's foot. The image is all about taking us back to the sacraments, confession and communion. That's what Divine Mercy Sunday's promise is based on. You go to confession, you receive Holy Communion, or if you're at home, you do an act of contrition or a, and a spiritual act of communion, and you will be cleansed, not only of all sin, but all punishment. Now, here's the thing. To do that, you need the church. The church is how God gives his mercy. And today in his address, Pope Francis said, let us on this day, he talked about the image today. Pope Francis said, let us ask Christ for the gift of mercy. You know how you ask for the gift of mercy? 
ask for forgiveness in the confessional and ask for holy communion, either spiritual communion if you're, if you're at home or in the sacrament at your church. That's how we ask Christ for the gift of mercy. And that's what the image is. Confession and communion. It's all there. And how are we receiving it? Through the church. So, I want to finish with Jesus calling um, Peter Simon. This is in tradition of what has been going on in the Bible. Like Abraham, who was originally Abram, and like Israel, who was originally Jacob, God changed their names to show that they would have a specific mission. Simon's name was changed to Peter, meaning a new God-given role in salvation history was being given to him. What was his role? He's designated by Jesus as the foundation stone. You are the rock, Peter, by which his new church would be built. Just like the stones of the Old Testament, the old temple, where the cornerstones in the temple would be built, Peter is that cornerstone by which it will be built, his new church. It is in this new covenant church that we get the sacraments. And it is in the sacraments of confession and communion that you get mercy. And it is through mercy 90 years ago that Christ told the world again and again and again, I'm dying, I'm clamoring to pour my mercy out upon you and the whole world just come to me. In fact, he's so desperate, he's coming to us. Look at his left foot on the image of divine mercy. He's stepping towards you. And all of this ties together. Jesus, in this passage today, explained why he's the Messiah. He's not a, a military hero, but he's a conquering hero. And that conqueror defeats the sins and the death of Satan, his only two tools, by wiping them out. How? By mercy. What is that mercy? In the sacraments. Confession and communion. Where do you find the sacraments? In the church. Who's the head of the church? Peter. Oh my, it's all here. It all ties together. And how incredible that it's on the 90th anniversary of St. Faustina receiving the image. The image that says it's all about confession and communion. It all ties together. Our faith is like this incredible jigsaw puzzle. You know, if you look at all the great men who have tried to set out to defeat the Catholic Church, the Scott Hans, the Stephen Rays. These are eyes that I'm personally friends with and I've talked to them. You got guys like, like um, uh, Deacon Alex Jones, um, Tim Staples. These were all non-Catholics who set out to disprove the truth of the Catholic faith and all became Catholic. Because once you look, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. That's what happened to me in my 30s. When I started looking at every little jigsaw piece of the puzzle, I said, my goodness, there's nothing here that contradicts. There's nothing here that isn't truth. Everything in our faith fits together like a jigsaw puzzle. And in that jigsaw puzzle, it is put together to form the most beautiful mural of all, Jesus Christ, the image of divine mercy, the face of the Father's mercy. We, brothers and sisters, we have it all. We were given the way to salvation. 
And as Jesus said, divine mercy is mankind's last hope of salvation. And he said, woe to you if you miss this message. God bless all of you. You haven't missed it. As I've said before, or you wouldn't be here. Praise be Jesus and Mary. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.